As you look at that word, the immutability of God, the word immutable sounds almost like an inoculation, something that just doesn't fit. What does it mean? Uh, I am sure that if I were to ask any of you today, what are you thankful for? If I were to take a sheet of paper and give to each one in this place this morning and ask you to write, what are you thankful for? I am absolutely sure as I'm standing here and I'm not a gambling man that you would not be thankful for the immutability of God. You may think of it, but you would not think of it in the way in which it makes sense uh, uh, to us. <clears throat> and uh, the title of this message is, is, to, is to have us focus upon this attribute of God so that you and I are able to live day by day with a consciousness, a consciousness of how thankful we are to be for things we do not know about God. Things we know, we are thankful for them. But I am quite sure that not many of you have thought about the immutability of God this past week. And, 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 and without it, we would not be here this morning, as we shall see in a few moments. Um, <clears throat> Martin Luther, the great reformer whose 500th anniversary we celebrated not too long ago, uh, Martin Luther was a very interesting man. I don't know if it had to do with his German background or not, I don't know. But he said this. He said, if I were God... And I'm thankful he wasn't. And people treat me the way they're treating God, I would send a whole bunch to hell. Aren't you glad that Martin Luther was not God? And he was, he was only dealing with his frustration at the people, at people. You know, it's interesting. I happened to listen a little bit of the news this morning. And uh, they are complaining in California now because the rain is making it hard for them to... Uh, search for bodies because of the mud and so on. And two days ago, we wanted the rain because the rain would stop the, the fires. The rain came, so now we're complaining. We are always complaining about something, no matter what it is. And I think that if we understood how we are kept, there's an old Christian song we used to sing in college. Moment by moment, I am kept by his love. Moment by moment, I have new life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory that shine. Moment by moment, I'm kept by his love. Do you realize that you couldn't say that if God was not immutable? I want to take you through a number of passages and, and, and to share with you from what the outline says, at the introduction, how do we know that God is immutable? We'll come to the definition in a few moments. But we, you heard what, what uh, Elizabeth um, read. Everything you and I know, everything is in a state of flux. Everything is changing. Just look in the mirror before you left home this morning. I did. And, 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 and we live with this constant awareness. 
And then we come against God, and we hear that everything is changing, but he never changes. So he's distinct from all his creation. Listen to 1 Samuel 15, 29. And also the glory are the God of Israel will not lie or have regrets, for he is not a man that he should regret. God is not a man, so you'll get, you're getting an idea how this is introduced, that this is not from man's point of view. Because all that man knows is constantly changing. And listen, listen to Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. And some of you that know your Bible well will be able to say, "Aha!" Uh -huh, but doesn't it say that God repented and, and so on? Well, we'll answer that in a few minutes that, that we have. But I want you to, to, to think for a moment that when we think about the immutability of God, we're thinking of something that, that is opposite to human beings. God is not a man. The assumption is already there that human beings are mutable. We go through the changes. I was trying to think this morning. You know, our son was done getting ready, uh, getting us ready for his big day within two weeks. And uh, I had a text that I thought I wasn't going to use at, at, at his wedding. But he came down with a text he wants me to use. Well, I said, it's his wedding, <laughs> you know. And, and if he doesn't like the text, um, then... You can't do anything about it. It's too late then anyway. But as I looked at that, I, I, I thought of the time when I got married. And I, I thought about it this morning. My wife has been married to five men in marrying me. She married me the way I was when we met. She married me the way I became after the wedding. She married me the time we moved to Toronto. She, she married me when we moved from Toronto. And I know you're waiting for me to say she married me when we moved to Sotovale, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> In all the stages of life, we change. We are not the same people. I remember counseling a young couple for their premarital counseling, and I said to to them, you know, the man you're marrying today will be the man you're marrying, you're living with next year. And she looked at me, what do you mean? I mean, she was frightened. And I had to explain that we all go through this mutation. I looked at some pictures the other day of, of men that I used to admire, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Duke Snyder, who's already dead. And when I looked at these men, now Willie Mays is, is in a wheelchair. Hank Aaron is, is walking with a cane. He was a home run king. And everything you know and everything I know, in other words, when we talk about immutability, we're not talking about human beings. We are talking about someone that is distinctly different, but someone whom we desperately need. So what are we thankful for? We're not talking about something merely made by man. Secondly, immutability overwhelms human beings. And I won't get into the whole thing. But if you look in, Je in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5 to uh, Jonah 4, verse 2, 
you will find that Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach and to tell the people so many days and judgment is going to come. And when they heard the message of Jonah, they repented. The, the whole city turned to God. And when you read Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, you know what it begins with? And Jonah was angry at God. This is amazing. And then he goes on to say, I'll tell you why I'm angry. Because when I was back there, I knew that you were a, a forgiving God. I know that you were a merciful God. And I thought that by the time I was finished with Nineveh, you might change. I wanted you to change to suit my likes and my dislikes. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people still living today who believe that God can be manhandled. That they can, they can I'm, I'm going to hope, in fact, people think of this. I'm going to take a chance. And when I stand before the maker, I hope that he will see that my good side outlived, well, outlived better than my bad side. We are always overcome by this sense of the, the unchangeableness of God because we change to suit situations. God doesn't change to suit situations. He changed people who change situations, but he remains unchangeable. And we'll see why this is important. And of course, I'm skipping over a lot of things. So there are scores of people, like I said, even present in this room, who are hoping that somehow God, God is going to grade on the curb. He's going to see things a little, he's going to see things my way. And then we'll find out that God does not see things our way. The people of Nineveh repented. And when it says that God relented that, it was not that God changed. It is that they changed and they, God responded to their change. But God didn't change. He said, if you don't repent, you're going to be judged. If you repent, you will be forgiven. And when they repented, they were forgiven. God didn't change his mind. He put before us life and death. And oftentimes we choose death over life and wonder why it is that way. But thirdly is what I want to show you as we come to... Uh, to the definition or the fact that immutability is, a, is a, an attribute that is revealed to us, not one that we discover. I've already quoted to you Numbers 23 and 1 Samuel 15. But the text I want to use right now is from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. And God now, God is the one who is speaking. And listen to what he says. Malachi 3 and 6. I, the Lord your God, does not change. And that's why you are not consumed, Israel. God said, if I change, you wouldn't be alive. We're thankful that God is immutable because, because the last time you failed you would find God behaving like Martin Luther. 
saying, this is the way you behave, I'm going to change to punish you. No. What is God saying when he says he does not change? It means that among the, the attributes of God, there isn't any point in God's existence where he is less than he has always been. There isn't any point in God where there is less judgment and more love, where there is less holiness and more faithfulness, the things we like. To say that God is immutable means that God cannot change for the better or for the worse. I like what A.W. Tozer said. God cannot change for the better since he's perfectly holy. He has never been less than holy than he is and can never be holier than he is now and as he's, uh, he, he will always be. Neither can God change for the worse. Any deterioration within the unspeakable holy nature of God is impossible. Indeed, I believe it is possible even to think, it is impossible to even to think of such, of, of a moment when God is different in time as he was in eternity. My friends, I'll tell you why I, I have it. Because we live in a day, we live in a day of self-sufficient human beings. We live in a day when the whole focus of existence is upon you and me. I, I was moved with almost righteous anger, I hope, when Celine Dion came out with that uh, um, stupid um, idea of making clothing so that when children are born, they're not as uh, distinguished as male or female. She's going to make stuff so when you look at them, you just say, duh. Because you can't say male or female. How absolutely insane. But my friends, I'm going to tell you, she's going to make a bundle of, out of that. See, 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 we are remaking, we are redefining God. And there are, some, there are some people who even look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know what they say about the cross? I'm quoting now. The cross is divine self, uh, child abuse. Because somehow we think God is not supposed to be like that. What we want is a God that we can understand. What we want is a God, God who, who, will, who will twist the rules a little bit. So, so what, is the, what is the importance of the immutability of God? Let me give you four things why we should be thankful for that. Number one, we ought to be thankful that God does not change because the immutability of God gives us assurance of creation. Creation depends upon the immutability of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4 says this, that God hold all things in place. All things, the whole creation. I, I was listening to a lecture Yesterday morning, I was up and down, and I would listen, and then I'd go to bed, and, and so on. I was listening to one yest yesterday, and it was talking about the galaxies and, and, and the, 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 the existence of, of, of stars and billions and millions of them. 
And then the speaker said, and God has made all of them and put them where they are, named them all, and he tells us this is why you ought to be thankful because everything in science depends upon the immutability of God. Everything. Listen, listen to this. I love this. This is from Dr. John Polkenhorne, who was um, um, a physicist at Cambridge University, professor of mathematical physics at Cambridge. I mean, I just love to call their names because I don't know what they're saying anyway. <laughs> but listen to what he says. I love this. In the early expansion of the universe, there had to be a close balance between the expansion of energy, driving things apart, and the force of gravity pulling things together. If expansion dominated, then matter would fly apart too rapidly for condensation into galaxies and stars to take place. Nothing interesting, nothing interesting could happen in so a thinly spread world. On the other hand, if gravity dominated, the world would collapse in on itself again before there would be time for the process of life to get going. For us to see the possibility, it requires a balance between the effects of expansion and the contraction, which is at the very, at the very epoch of the universe, universe history. Then he said, what has to differ to make that balance? And this is what drove me crazy. Should, let me read it. Had to differ from equality for not more than one in 10 to the 60th part. Can you tell me what that is? But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I'm glad it happened. Because that's the way Jesus made it. And if anything, if one day God said, you know, I see those human beings, the way they're treating me, I'm going to remove gravity from the earth. What would happen? All, all things are held together. Every time you go out and you come back in, my friends, you were protected because God is immutable. I, I can't explain for everything that is happening in the world. I know that sin has affected the world, but even in sin, if God was not immutable, my friends, he said to Israel, you would be consumed. The very universe, I, I have more here, but time would not allow me. And, and, and Dr. Polkenhahn continues, he said this, intelligibility, I was wondering if I would be able to say that early this morning, but uh, especially the way I'm feeling. Intelligibility is the ground on which fundamental science ultimately depends on. Science, please listen, science depends upon theology to make science viable, but not the other way around. And he made a very interesting little um, thing. He said, if you, if you visit grand grandmother's house and you, you see a cake there on the table, and you look at that cake, and you can tell all the parts that went into making that cake. But there's one thing you will never be able to tell, unless she tells you, is why she baked the cake. We live in a universe, my friends, and science can do a whole lot of things. I mean, I listen with just amazement. He puts all the stars in place, and he names them. And they are there today because... He holds all things together. He's holding the whole universe in balance 
so that we do not freeze or die from heat. Secondly, secondly, another reason we need God, because our salvation depends on it. If God decided to change his mind about saving you and me, we would be lost forever. Listen to John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should what? Not perish. John chapter 10 and verse 28, I give unto them eternal life and they will never perish. If God ever changed his mind about our salvation, we are doomed. We are doomed. Just, just think for a moment. Some of you have been walking with Jesus Christ for a lot of years. And if you did not have the assurance that God saved you, each day you would live and wa I wonder if I'm going to make it today. I, I wonder if I'm going to finish my journey. Listen to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says, He is able to save to the uttermost, that is completely. I remember the first time I heard that, someone said, from the uttermost, from, from the guttermost to the uttermost. It's not talking about where you come from, it's where you're going. He is able to save us completely. Listen, why? Because he ever lives to intercede for us. If there is ever a time in your journey as a Christian that Jesus says, Winston, he has blown it so many times, let's forget him, my friends. Which of us, which of us would make it? The immutability of God is indispensable because our salvation depends on it. Thirdly, because his promises depend on it. His promises. When God made promises, he made them so that you and I would be able to live by them. Or as Warren Wordsby likes to say, God has called us to live by promises, not by explanations. Promises. What, what, what is a promise? For God to make a promise, three things must be possible. Number one, he's able to accomplish it. Number two, he's able to remove anything that would defy his accomplishing it. And number three, he has the power to accomplish what he promises. So we read in 2 Peter chapter 1, God has given us precious promises that we might become partakers of the divine nature. My friends, if the devil could stop God from doing that, he would have reasons to say, look, that one failed today. Look, that one failed today. And listen, listen, every time you and I fail God, what are we told? He's faithful and just to forgive us. If God ever changed his mind on that, what would we do? That's why we come to the table. Our salvation is rooted in the promises of God that when we believe him, we are going to make it safely home. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, God cannot lie. So he never says anything that is, not, that is untrue. Joshua 23 verse 14 says, not one word of God. As we have come through the wilderness, nothing has failed that God has promised. And my friends, if Jesus should take another thousand years before he returns to earth, 
his promises will be fulfilled. Nothing will be able to stop his promises. Hebrews chapter 11 says that some died not receiving the promise because they anticipated something far greater than what would have been there if they had gotten it then. So even though certain things don't come true, now, my friends, God says it will happen. It will happen. Lastly, the immutability of God is indispensable because our hope depends on it. Our hope depends on it. Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says, Jesus Christ is our hope. What is hope? Hope is not simply... I wish that... I, I you know, I wish that... that um, I win a million dollars. I don't know where I'd wish it because I don't buy anything to make me win a million dollars. But that's the way we think of hope. A long shot. A long shot. But when the Bible speaks of hope, friends, it's not talking of that. When the Bible speaks of hope, let me tell you what it's talking about. It is talking about an expectation that is based upon unmovable promises that is impossible not to be fulfilled. The hope that we have is an expectation, it's an anticipation. It is not based upon human wishes. It is, it is founded and rooted in the, in the providence and in the power and in the promises of God. And listen, listen to what we're, we're, what we're hoping for. We were singing it this morning. And I wonder how many of you thought of it. Verse 4 of How Great Thou Art. When he shall come. What will he do when he, when he comes? Take us home. That's our hope. Our hope is that we are not going to be here in this world forever. Who would want that? And the hope, my friends, is not something we are hoping will work out. That's why the scripture says that Jesus is our hope. He was in the grave. He was raised. He's at the right hand of God. And he's interceding for all who hope in him so that where he is, we might be also. That's hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's not political thinking. Oh, my word. It's not family thinking. What is hope? Hope is taking seriously what John 3.16 promised. What, what, what it is, it is living each day with a sense of anticipation. And friends, I do not want to be frivolous with this. Our hope in the coming of Jesus Christ could take place before this day's ended. And for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, their hope is secure. And if you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, 
and you want to make sure that where he is, you might be also, it is for you to call upon the name of the Lord that you might be saved because only those who are, only those who are saved have this hope that will be accomplished. That's God's promise. So we are thankful today for the immutability of God because creation, the universe in which we live, depend on it. The salvation we have depend upon it. We are thankful because God has given us promises by which to live. And he had to be God. If he ever changed those promises, it would make no sense at all. And lastly, the immutability of God gives us confidence in the hope that we have. That we don't live wishfully thinking. We live with an accuracy of hope that is based upon a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Father, I trust, oh God, that this word has become something new to the people of God this morning. God said, I am immutable, and because you are mutable, you need me, I don't need you. But may we need you in a sense, oh God, that gives strength and hope. May we embrace the promises of God, even though sometimes they are so hard. And I pray that the hope we have will cause us to live each day with an anticipation and peace and joy that when those who do not know Christ sees us living this hope, they will ask the reason for it. And we, with humbleness of heart and spirit, shall be able to say, Christ Jesus is my hope. He is the one that I'm waiting for. He's the one that will fulfill my hope. And the day's coming when he will. We thank you in his name. Amen.